Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Why Mary? It's an interesting question. Posed through this exclusive, and if you have missed some of the scenes that have been running up to this point, let me just bring you a little bit up to speed about this exclusive. These two men here are talking. One, David, he's a blogger for a website that, that is focused on things hard to explain. Now, David, the blogger, he's been talking with Michael, who he just met here at this coffee shop. And he explains this interesting assignment he's been given. David said, hey, my boss gave me this ex- assignment. Consider you have an exclusive with God, and you get to ask him five questions. The only thing is, David's a little lost. He doesn't know what questions to really ask. But Michael has been a solid Christian for many years, so he begins to guide David a little bit, and he's helped him develop four out of his five questions, which have already been answered. One, why did God send Jesus? Why Jesus? Why did he come in the first place? Number two, why was Jesus rejected? If he was God in the flesh, he came to the earth, why was he rejected? Three, he did so many miracles, he proved himself over and over again. Why didn't people understand? Four, why was he hailed as a king? He was crucified after all. So what was up with this coronation? Why the coronation for Jesus? Michael, he's found this David to be skeptical, yet searching. He's seeking. Though he's skeptical, he has all kinds of questions himself. He's seeking, he's digging in a little. So when they arrived at that fourth question about the king, Michael suggested, David, you're searching for something, and I think your search is going to take you to Jesus. And David said, no, mm -mm, not a dead man. That's where we left off. Not a dead man. This this. David, this David O'Malley, the blogger, he has expressed what so many have expressed. Jesus, despite his great philosophical teachings, and oh yes, he was an ethical teacher, and he said so many great things, he's just another dead guy. Well, Michael has astutely picked up on that, said Well, that's just like someone else in the scripture who is looking for a dead man. Mary, Mary Magdalene. Why don't you add that to your questions? Why Mary? She was the one who was given this great privilege to see Jesus resurrected first. He was visiting her first in his resurrected form. He was an alive Savior, this Jesus, if this resurrection story, if this account is no hoax, and we believe it's not a hoax, 
if there's doubters who are looking for dead men or a dead man, and if Mary is balked into them, if she was looking for a dead body, why? Why would she be given such the privilege? Why would Jesus visit her first? Why would he go to such doubter? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, but first maybe a little bit about who this person was. Who is this Mary Magdalene? Before we, before we arrive at digging into some kind of answer about why Jesus would come to her first, who is she? What, what's her story? You may think when you hear the word Mary Magdalene, first thing that may come to your mind is, oh, sinner, terrible sinner, prostitute, harlot. Now, these conclusions have been arrived at many years ago, but they're mostly based on speculation. They're really not based on hard facts. This is supposition, conclusions that have been come to by building a composite picture of this person through an account of a woman in the Bible who's unnamed, through the account of another woman in the Bible who's named Mary, and then some of this idea of Mary Magdalene because she was possessed and it's composited, brought together, and she said to be this great sinner who was a harlot and a prostitute. I saw an article just two days ago. It's uh, from Time. The article was published on March 30th, and it was all about Mary Magdalene because there was a movie released in the United Kingdom recently all about her life. And the opening line of the article says this, sex worker, saint, sinner, witness, wife. In the 2,000 years since Mary Magdalene is said to have watched Jesus Christ die on the cross, she's been labeled many things. And that is true. But instead of speculating about a person and who she was, I just really, this morning, want to use the biblical account. Let's look at what Scripture has to say about this person and arrive at our conclusions biblically. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us about her background, her upbringing, her family. She's called Magdalene, and we conclude that she's from a city called Magdala, just like Jesus was from Nazareth, so he was called a Nazarene. That makes sense. Magdala was a town near the Sea of Galilee that was in the northern section of Israel, a fishing area because of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias. It's called Magdala was a town that processed fish and it made dyes. Nothing really noteworthy. Other towns around the lake would be doing some of the same things. Nothing uh, extremely noteworthy. It seems more likely the reason that she's called Mary Magdalene is to identify her. Now, if you've read the Bible, you know there's Mary, 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 and Mary. So you got to figure out all those Marys, right? You need to know which one is which. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. There's Mary, who's the sister of Lazarus and also the sister of Martha. There's Mary, the wife of Clopas. There's Mary, the mother of John Mark. And then in Matthew's gospel, he refers to one of them as the other Mary, okay? It's a little confusing. So to say Mary Magdalene, then, it gives an identity to this person. It distinguishes her from all the other Marys that are in the Bible. Interestingly, there's uh, eight mentions of Mary with groups of women. Now, she's mentioned 14 times in the New Testament. Eight, 
eight out of those 14 times, she's mentioned with a group of other women. And her name always comes first. Mary Magdalene, and then it'll list the other women that she's with. There's only one exception. So really, it's just seven times she's first. There's one exception where she isn't listed first, and that's when she was with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, is given the prominence. Her name goes first in the list. Every other time that Mary Magdalene is in this group or in a group, she's noted first, and this gives some prominence to her. Perhaps she was a leader among women. We don't know for sure. The details aren't there. But the way that the Bible's written, oftentimes a first person in a group of people has the higher honor, has some prominence in that group. In Luke's gospel, we learn early on, it's Luke chapter 8, early in the gospel, that Mary Magdalene, along with some other women, they were healed by Jesus. This is where it says Mary was a woman who had been possessed with seven demons. Seven demons came out of her, along with these other women who may have had demons cast out of them, and they were healed of diseases. And they became followers of Jesus. Luke gives us that detail too. They became followers of Jesus. They supported his ministry, it says, out of their own means. So Mary had some kind of means. We don't know if she was abundantly wealthy, if she was middle class, working class, whatever. From what she had, she contributed to the ministry of Jesus. And this incident in Luke's gospel is perhaps two years or more before the crucifixion. So it stands to reason that Mary Magdalene was with Jesus following those through those years. She witnessed many miracles. She would have heard Jesus teaching. She would have heard his preaching. She would have heard his projections, his predictions that he was going to be crucified and that on the third day he'd be raised from the dead. We know from the uh, gospel accounts that she was there at the crucifixion. She saw Jesus on the cross. She was there when his body was taken off the cross. She witnessed as Jesus was laid into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. She saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb. That's a line in one of the Gospels that she watched as a heavy stone was put in front of the tomb. Well, then came the morning of the resurrection. We heard a little bit about that at the open. I want to give you some more details from John chapter 20. We've been reading the Bible together as a church from the beginning of the year. And our reading has taken us through John's gospel last week up through John 20. And I want to share some of the verses. And if you want to read along with us, it's been a great experience bonding us. We're talking about it among friends, what we've been reading. If you check out our website, yourbcc.org, just look right there for the one-year link. You can pick up on the reading plan. Follow along with us. It's really been a blessing. In John 20, the resurrection's presented. And this is a fairly 
detailed narrative, I want to read to you 18 verses from John 20 about this resurrection morning and the details about Mary Magdalene. She's mentioned a few times in this. So it says this, beginning with verse one, early on the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And that's likely a reference to John who's writing, just so we know, the one Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one on the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them, he had said these things to her. So there's some good detail in this narrative about the resurrection and about this woman known as Mary Magdalene. In verse eight, John, the writer who seems humble, humble enough not even to include his name, he is said to have seen the empty tomb and believed he believed. Now, wouldn't that be a good candidate to be the first witness of the resurrected Jesus? Now, if you're Jesus, wouldn't you think, oh, I should go to the ones who believe the best, and there's John, and he's believing? Or if you were faking the story, maybe you'd write that. But Jesus didn't. He didn't go to the one who believed. Why Mary? She was struggling. In the passage, the passage we just read, 
I see Mary Magdalene has something in common with Peter the Apostle. Peter was a passionate follower of Jesus. If you know his story, he was always passionate, zealous, the man speaking out of turn, always kind of pushing himself in front of the others. He wasn't afraid to speak out to Jesus. And what happened to Peter? Though he claimed, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. I will be with you if they come to get you. I'll die with you. He denied Jesus three times. Denied him three times. And when I read this passage here in John chapter 20, I see a similar story here with Mary. She'd been a follower of Jesus for years. She was with him when he was preaching and teaching. She witnessed miracles. She heard his claims about rising from the dead. Even Jesus' enemies heard that. Even Jesus' enemies heard about the resurrection. Remember that uh, those who crucified Jesus, they went to the Roman governor Pilate, and they said, we remember that this deceiver said that he would in three days, rise again. So please, have the, have the tomb sealed, put a guard around it so that this deception will not get greater, that his followers can't come and steal the body. And Pilate did that. If Jesus' enemies knew he foretold a resurrection after three days, a close disciple like Mary Magdalene would certainly know that Jesus made this prediction that he would rise from the dead. Yet here in John chapter 20, what did we read? She denied the resurrection three times. Like Peter, a three-time denier. Why? Why would Jesus come to the three-time denier? When she first arrived at the tomb, the stone was rolled away. She didn't ask questions. She didn't investigate. She turned around and she ran back to town. We read that she ran and she went to Peter and John and she said, they've taken the Lord. They've taken him out of the tomb. Where have they put him? That's her first denial. She's not saying, hey, Peter, John, Jesus is resurrected. No, tomb's empty. He predicted it. She runs to the disciples. His body's gone. Where is it? Somebody took it. First denial. Now imagine she's feeling a sense of loss, bewilderment. She's weeping. She's crying. She believes her Lord's body's been stolen. Peter and John, they listen. They run to the tomb too. Now Mary She'd already run the distance from the tomb to town. These two guys take off. Well, I believe it would be hard for her to keep up. She's probably winded. They get to the tomb first. Peter goes right in. That's Peter. He didn't stop. He went straight in. Sees the tomb empty. John took a moment, and then John went inside the tomb. And that's when it said that John believed. They saw this, and we read, they left. They went back to where they were staying. But then there's Mary. She evidently showed up a little after these men 
They'd outrun her. She showed up. They go back. She's left standing there outside the tomb, weeping, probably feeling hopelessly abandoned. And she peers into the tomb. And what does she see? She sees two angels. There's one at one end of the the place where Jesus was laid, one, one at the head, one at the foot. And it doesn't really seem to phase her. Now, if you poked your head into a tomb and you saw two angels, would you react? I mean, this, this lady seems so hopeless, so lost, so desperately alone. It's as if she doesn't even notice these two angels. And they, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, is the response. I don't know where they've put him. And there's the second denial. The second time she has denied the resurrection. She doesn't take time to talk to these angels. She doesn't seem to be phased by the fact that they're in, dressed in bright white It seems she can't take in the sight of the empty tomb. So she turns away. She turns away and she sees a man who she presumes is the gardener. And he asks the same question. Woman, why are you crying? And he also adds, who are you looking for? Now Mary brings her third denial. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. She's looking for a dead man. When Jesus said, I will be alive, I will rise after three days, I am going to resurrect. She's looking for a dead man. And Jesus is alive And isn't that the way so many see Jesus? While Jesus is alive, he is alive forevermore. So many consider Jesus dead, and they consider his word dead. Even some who've already had an experience with Jesus lose faith. Our character in the the skit, David O'Malley, He became disillusioned because life brought him difficulties. And he told his friend Michael, I'm done with that. I'm done with that Jesus thing. That was, you know, my dad's belief. I don't know. He's dead. His faith was rocked. And he considered Jesus dead. Mary's faith was rocked. Three times she has said, where is he? It's like she's been punched in the gut. The wind has been taken out of her sail. Not once, not twice, three times she said, where is he? They've taken his body. It denied what Jesus said so many times. It denied what Jesus foretold. It denied what he had said beforehand. But then came one word. Then came one word out of the mouth of Jesus. Mary, and instantly, instantly, her faith was restored. She took hold of him. 
seems she grabbed onto him as if her life depended on it. To Jesus rebuke her, Jesus didn't rebuke her. Jesus didn't say, oh, woman, where was your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. He didn't rebuke her for her lack of faith. No, he restored her. He restored her just as much as Jesus restored Peter after, after his lack of faith. Not only was she restored, she was commissioned. Mary was commissioned to be the first evangelist for the resurrected Jesus Christ. Mary, go to my brothers. Tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary went with the good news that Jesus had been resurrected. And she told them, I've seen the Lord. And she told them all that Jesus had said to her. Mary was not only the first to be visited by the resurrected Jesus, but she was given this high honor, this great privilege. She was commissioned to go out with the good news. Now, let me tell you, that's why we believe in women in ministry around here, okay? It's all right for a woman to preach the good news. In the... And John's gospel's a great gospel to read that. Early in his gospel, John chapter four, Jesus meets a woman, a Samaritan woman at the well. She went into town and preached. Jesus didn't say anything to her. Now here he's resurrected. First person, he sends off Mary. Mary to preach. Why Mary? Why? When she was doubting and she was struggling, when she was in denial about Jesus' very own words that he would rise from the dead. Jesus was there for her. Of course, Jesus could have selected John, the one who had the faith. John, who was the one out of all these men who deserted Jesus. John was the one who at least stood at a distance when Jesus was crucified. John was there when Jesus said to his mother, woman, there's your son. John was the one who displayed this faith and it said he believed when he saw the empty tomb. Of course, Jesus could have selected him. But his faith was already strong. Jesus desired the one with doubts, the one who was weeping, the one who was crying, the one who felt so lost and alone, the one who felt abandoned. Jesus was there for her. Jesus was there for Mary, the one wrestling with her belief. She didn't understand it all but she was still seeking. Why, Mary? That's a lot of whys, David. Why did you send him? Why did they reject him? Why didn't they understand? Why the coronation? And why Mary? There's your five questions. You found the story you were looking for. But let me add one more. Why you? Or rather, why not you? Me? Yeah. David, you're a seeker wanting more. Jesus can give you that. I know you feel like he abandoned you, but he never deserted you. He was always standing near. 
He always knew your name. He was always standing near. He always knew your name. Why Mary? She represents everyone who ever struggled with belief. She represents everyone who ever felt alone, everyone who ever felt abandoned, everyone who ever questioned, where is God? Where is Jesus? She represents you. She represents me. Why Mary? Why not you? Are you seeking answers in this life? Have you wrestled with this idea of believing in God? Have there been times where you've thought, like Mary was no doubt thinking, I'm alone, I'm desperate, I'm abandoned, I'm lost. Where's God? God's dead. No. God is alive. God is alive. Jesus is alive. He is standing near in your time of need. He knows your name. He delivered Mary from demonic oppression. He can deliver you too. He can deliver you from whatever it is that may be oppressing you. He died for the forgiveness of your sins and he wants to invite you to sit down and have communion with him at that celebration in heaven. He wants your name in the Lamb's book of life. He wants to invite you, but you have to turn to him. You have to turn to him. You have to turn away from the tomb. You have to turn away from looking to where the dead are and you have to see life and see the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows your name. Turn to him. He knows you. He wants to be your exclusive Lord and Savior because he is the exclusive Lord and Savior. He is the only way there is None other. I want to bring our day to a close with a little anecdote from Easter 2016. Two years ago at Easter, Easter was March the 28th. If I remember correctly, it was early, still chilly. Not the kind of Easter days we always like to anticipate the flowers and the sunshine. Right over here to my left, in the front row, there was a man sitting there. A man who didn't darken the door of the church very often. But he was here on Easter. And that was one Easter out of many that I know he missed. It was a pretty rare sighting for me to see this person sitting right here in the front Now, I knew he was struggling a little, that he was sick. But I didn't know what was happening in his heart. I didn't know if he was hearing at all. 
because I knew many times he didn't hear. I knew many times the wall went up. I knew many times I'm sure he felt, I've heard that, I've heard this about Jesus, but he's dead and I don't need him. He was a smart person. I considered him a genius, the kind of a person who could read a book. He would read these uh, Tom Clancy novels, 900 pages long. You know, there was trilogies and such and be able to just tell you the characters and all the things that were happening. Could have really done anything, in my opinion. But, you know, life took a hold of him. Addiction took a hold of him. And it was difficult Someone else said to me, yeah, he's got an authority problem. I agreed. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you want to do things your own way all the time. But something happened that Easter Sunday morning for a person who come into church very rarely, but he heard and God, I believe, touched his heart. And I believe that he wanted his name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he wanted to sit down at the table, that table in the future, and celebrate with the Lord, the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, at the close of our service, he stayed there, sat in his, sat in his seat. But after service, I walked down here and walked around. He took me by the end. He said, hey, pray with me. Will you pray with me? God was working on his heart. And I believe, I believe that he was truly saved that morning. That he came to the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ. That was March 28th. Before the month of April was through, I was standing before his casket. And I was saying the funeral. And that man sitting over there was my brother, 10 years my senior, who lived a tough life and was constantly rebuffing, pushing. But two years ago, on April, or on March 28th, 2016, he prayed and he asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. And I don't want anyone to leave this room today if you've never done that. Because you don't know when it's going to be your last time. You don't know when you're going to go. You don't know. And my heart's desire is to see you there to see you at that celebration, to see you at that table. Because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'll see my brother Brian. He'll be there. And I'm glad for that. He's kind of, uh, kind of like this David O'Malley character, but on steroids, so to speak. He knew it all, and he could tell you that every time. But that day he was humble and he went before the Lord. And I'm grateful for that. I want to be grateful for you too. Why don't we stand as we close our service today? And I just want to ask if you're, if you're feeling 
at all like David or Mary. You don't get it. You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You feel there is no God and he's totally dead. He ain't dead. No. He will receive you with your doubts, with your questions. And he isn't he isn't coming necessarily for all those that have the great faith. Yes, God, God honors our great faith. And it's not a bad testimony to say, yes, I've had great faith all my life and I was raised in it and I, I knew the Lord since day one because my parents brought me up in that. There is no shame in that at all. That's an awesome blessing. But Jesus, he wants to minister to those who have the deep questions and those who are doubting and those who are thinking he's dead. He knows your name. Will you turn to him this morning? We're going to take a minute and just sing a chorus and I want to invite you. If this is you, take the step of faith. It's nothing to be ashamed of. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll hug you. We'll celebrate with you. Because we're going to be together in that future that Jesus pointed to. I will drink this cup anew with you. You want to be there? I want you there. Come on. Give your heart over to Jesus Christ this morning. He's a great God. He's a living God. He is the only way, the exclusive way to eternal life. I know it's hard sometimes to take a step of faith and I'm not going to make anyone if there's anyone in this room. And if the entire room says, yes, I get it and I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior, that's fantastic. I can live with that. That's a great thing. But I understand too that at times we all struggle. Mary was a woman who followed Jesus for years. She had this moment of, I don't know. And if you're having one of those moments today too, before we leave, we're going to pray. Turn that over to the Lord. Turn it over to him. If you're feeling, though you know Jesus, like, hey, where is he? Is he gone? Like Mary, he is right there. He is always right there. Don't be looking in the tombs. Don't be looking for him where he isn't. Look, turn your eyes to Jesus. Look to him. Not, not a place where there's dead men. You know, he'll restore you. He will, he will be there. You can grab a hold of him. Grab a hold of him like Mary did. Let's pray. Let's pray. And if there's anyone here too, again, if you want to come forward, we have people pray with you. They will uh, they'll bless you. But let's pray together now. Father, thank you for your time of visitation with us here. We praise you, God. We praise you, God, for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that he's alive, that he knows our name. He knows every name in this room. He knows the number of hairs on all of our heads. He is a good God, and he is alive. He's made a way for us to receive eternal life. We 
because he beat death on the cross. God, if there's anyone here in this room that doesn't say, I call on Jesus Christ as my exclusive Lord and Savior, Lord, I just pray right now you'd move on that life and that heart. Lord, if it's someone who eh, didn't want to move forward or raise a hand or whatever, you know the heart, Lord. You know. You know, like my brother who just sat there too. But I know he wanted what you had. And if there's someone in this room who wants what you have, God, meet them right now, I pray. May Jesus and your Holy Spirit penetrate that heart. May they say, I'll turn from my life of doing it my own way and turn to you. Thank you, God. Thank you. And for any and all in this room who have ever felt that they've been abandoned or alone or lost or confused, not understanding, you're right there. God, give us the faith to just turn and reach out to take hold of your word and your way. Jesus, I just pray you'd respond in a way that they would know you're there saying their name. Thank you, God. Bless everyone here. Bless them as they go on their day. Bless them, keep them, make your face to shine upon them. Lift up your smiling countenance on each one and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes understanding keep every heart and every mind and every soul through our Lord and our Savior who's alive. Jesus is his name. Amen.